Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Drive Into the Basket, part of the Basketball Podcast Network. I am Mike, joined by Tommy. And wow, this is the last episode we're going to record before the season ends. Yeah, wow. I didn't even realize that. Honestly, I, I'm kind of looking forward to the end of the season. I think at this point, it's really more about seeing how things finish out. And a lot of what we're looking for at this point is just how the final scores shake out. So I'm kind of over it and uh, I'm, I'm ready for the next step. <laughs> Yeah, we both said it many times, and I'm just going to repeat it since it's such a theme for me. I was really hoping for this not to be the case this season, to be stressed down, just stressed going down to the wire. I'm less stressed, I've determined, than it was last season because oh, yeah. it's less important. The Pistons have already gotten Toby their prospect, a franchise player. Last season's draft was incredibly strong, and it has been absolutely as advertised. I mean, you look at the guys who have come out of that draft, Cade, of course, who I, I still think is going to be the best player in the draft. Jalen Green's really come online and has been, has been very good on offense since the All-Star break. Mobley is Mobley, of course. Uh, Jalen Suggs is really the only one of that class, uh, you know, that that kind of consensus top five who hasn't done well, partially due to injuries. But I think he's just also struggled, though. Admittedly, I haven't watched a ton of him. But you go on there, Scotty Barnes, uh, Josh Giddy, And so, yeah, it, it's been really impressive. Yeah, and I don't know season. how often it is that uh, the top four of a class, like the top four picks, end up being the four best players in that class. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I forgot that Scotty Barnes was fourth. I forgot about that. Yep. We were also sure that Jalen Suggs was going to go top. Uh, was going to go top four. I'm sure Raptors fans are now very happy that Masai made uh, d- did something unexpected because I, I know everybody just assumed that Suggs was going to go number four to the Raptors. So. Yeah, it's it's been very impressive. This upcoming draft class considerably less impressive, unfortunately. And you still want a higher pick, even if you don't have the guy there. Even if you don't want the guy who's there, you can always trade down or something. So uh, I'm feeling less stressed. Uh, I'll still feel better once the Pistons put together. You know, they're playing some good teams. Once they put together three losses, that would be great. That'll guarantee them third best odds because the Thunder somehow managed to win tonight. And <laughs> fielding a horrible roster, including starting two guys whom they just signed to 10-day contracts today. Uh, Jalen Horde, who's their power forward, I think is going to end up murdered by Sam Presti. I don't think his body will ever be found because he had a huge game. So anyway, uh, as far as the last week for the Pistons, of course, 3-0 weeks since we last recorded, which isn't ideal for the sake of, uh, of lottery odds. Uh, two of the games, there was nothing could be done against the Pacers, against the Thunder. Was what it was. You know, the Thunder are awful. The Pacers played really badly. Whatever. And then there was the win against the 76ers, which, Tommy, I actually, I know that you were a big fan of that win, that you saw a lot of good things in that win. Yeah, it's exactly like you said. It was a good win. And Jeremy Grant didn't even play that game. So the way that the Pistons went about winning this one was just through uh, great team play and obviously some good, some really good individual performances. But I think that game kind of encompasses uh, what the Pistons are kind of looking like they're going to be in the future. And that's a team that plays really hard, doesn't let up. There was a point in the third quarter where they were kind of slipping a little bit. They were down 10, but they just, they fight right back. They're so strong mentally. And, you know, just the guys that are on this team, they're really doing us proud. This has probably been one of my favorite seasons and definitely one of my favorite Pistons teams in the past decade. I picked up Pistons basketball, I think in 2014 or 2015 again. Sorry, I just got to say this. It's been good, but the standard is frighteningly low. oh no I, I don't i don't care about that like when yeah i got 2016 you. i just no, had to say like, it. 2016 was probably the last time where the team felt like it was actually maybe going somewhere in my opinion like the second we traded for griffin i was like okay uh 
we, we we're we're kind of hard capping our ceiling, but that's a whole other discussion. I'm just the right. point I'm trying to make here is just that the Pistons have been so much fun, and you can see that there's a future here, and that they're just growing, and that is so great to see. Yeah, absolutely, completely agree. Yeah, I mean, from my part, the last time I felt like the team might actually be going somewhere was the beginning of that 2017-2018 season, the 14-6 and start, you know, the win against the Warriors, the win against the Celtics. And then, of course, the wheels fell off and Jackson got injured. Yeah, I forgot about that one, actually. Yeah, that was fun. I mean, that's still the best starting lineup the Pistons have trotted out since they traded Chauncey Billups, uh, which was a long time ago. (laughs) In any case, yeah, 2016 was kind of cool because you had a really young team and you just traded for Tobias Harris. You know, you had Reggie Jackson, who was in his, his first full season with the Pistons, put together a pretty good uh, campaign. Uh, Drummond got an all-NBA nod that he really didn't deserve. And that was in part because the center class was incredibly weak. Uh, but whatever the case, things looked good. And then, of course, it went into the tubes the next season, the 2016-2017. Yeah, tendonitis yeah. really derailed Reggie Jackson. He never came back from that completely. He's looking no, good with the didn't. Clippers now, but... He's never going. He was never going to turn back into the guy who was actually capable of leading a team to the playoffs. I don't know if he was capable of leading a team past the eight seed because he was a guy. I mean, he came to the Pistons. One of the reasons the Pistons got him so cheap is because they said, "I don't want to go to any team that's not going to let me be the primary option." Yeah. And so he had a coach also whose name I don't even like to say, uh, so I won't. <laughs> and he had a coach who constantly enabled him. And all of his worst habits, and Jackson just wanted to be the guy. And if Reggie Jackson is the, is the guy on your team, you're going to have a pretty low ceiling. Uh, even even Reggie Jackson back then, I mean, he's not going to be first option on a good team. Uh, whatever the case, yeah. The next season, it really just it went off the rails. Uh, Reggie Jackson got injured. Everybody besides Tobias Harris regressed. There was horrendous coaching, and it was just a mess. Whatever the case, yeah. So this season uh, has not been without... Uh, some distressing elements to it. Lots of injuries, lots of struggles. Uh, season going much worse, I think, than most people anticipated, myself included. But there's definitely been a lot in the way of positives, and I feel like a lot of those came out in the Sixers game. I wasn't thrilled about the win, but there were definitely silver linings to it. So Right. Yeah. yeah. And the the whole thing with it, I mean, nobody really had super high expectations for this season. I said at one point before the season, I thought this team could be close to 500 or about 500. And obviously that didn't come through, but... It doesn't really matter because this is not the season that we were trying to compete. This is just a season for growth, and we definitely got to see growth. Cade came out. He struggled initially, but he ended up turning into the player that we thought he could be. He's impactful. Uh, he's starting to look like you know six foot six Chris Paul. I'm starting to really like that comp. And then Sadiq Bay. I mean, he has just thoroughly impressed me recently. Like he is mm-hmm. taking it to the next level as a player in terms of you know this more and more unguardable looking jump shot. He's making really nice reads and dump offs, you know, in transition off of movement. And uh, he definitely looks like it, it looks like we have two uh, building blocks going forward, at least two. And then there are guys like Hamadou and Frank Jackson who, you know, they had up and down seasons, but there's definitely stuff there. There's a lot of good things that we got to see this season, a lot of pieces. And uh, we have free agency money. We have another top pick coming. The Pistons are in a really good spot. Yeah. I mean, one thing I want to mention about that Sixers game, of course, Cade. You know, we've we've spoken a lot about it, and we'll talk a lot more about him, I'm sure. Uh, you know, he had a great game. Uh, Sadiq had a good game. Uh, Killian, who has been playing considerably better of late, as I said in the last episode, still has got a ways to go before he's really going to become an effective NBA player, but it's definitely encouraging. Uh, Isaiah Livers has certainly been impressive, I would say, in the in the mere weeks. Since, Absolutely. Yeah, since he joined the rotation. 
just a smart player. Clearly, like a guy of the highest character, and clearly very well liked by his teammates. Plays hard, plays for his team. He's a good shooter. And he's not the most athletic, but he is clearly very smart. And you know, who knows what you got? I mean, honestly, if you if you draft him and he is a rotation piece when the Pistons are a contender. That is a huge win. I mean, it does not need to, to, he does not need to come in and be like a starter caliber player in order for that draft pick to have been an enormous win, you know, from just being a good rotation player on a good team. I mean, fantastic. And, and of course, also the, the locker room impact and the on-court impact. And, and Weaver has brought in a lot of guys who just, it's not just providing off the stat sheet. It's also, you know, there's a positive impact of having these really high character guys in the team. I like that he selects for character. So, yeah, it was it was a good win. You know, if you have to win a game, you want to win it that way. And that was good. Yeah. And who knows, maybe, again, I've said Hami, you know, Hamadou Diallo, Hami. Yeah, it's, it's a potential X factor. Frank Jackson, if he can just get that motion three-point shooting down, that's a guy you want long-term. And there's there's a lot of building yet to be done. But I just love seeing these teams. I, I, I just love teams that are just all about guys who are going to work hard on both ends, who don't have egos and who are going to play for the team. Right. And I think that's one of the biggest differences between the Pistons teams of the past decade and a half. And this one, it's definitely guys who play for each other. And I think that, you know, the personalities that they have on this team, they, they don't get bogged down by the losses. It doesn't seem like it anyway. I mean, they don't, they're not apathetic to them by any means. You can tell that these guys want to win. They want to work hard, but they're not going to let it get to them. And I think that's going to serve them well, you know, through the, the tough times that are going to come in the coming years. And uh, hopefully that helps everything continue to go smoothly because, you know, we've seen it. Uh, we brought up Reggie Jackson earlier. Part of the reason that he ended up here in Detroit was just because he was really unhappy jerk. with playing. <laughs> he was a jerk. That was part of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah he, was, he was unhappy behind Westbrook. You know, there's, you know, egos at plays and it doesn't seem like there's issues with ego on this team. You know, these no. guys want to play for each other. We have a, a franchise player who wants to get his teammates involved. He's always talking about like how the team is looking, how he wants to lead these guys. That's one of the, the biggest things for him. I, I remember there was a question at the beginning of the year where, you know, the, the Pistons media team uh, were asking players like, what era would you want to play in? What Pistons uh, era would you want to play in? And what year? And, you know, different guys said different things and Cade, you know, just, it's it's the sort of answer that you would never think of. He's like, I really want to be on that 2021-2022 team because mm-hmm. I think that we're building something special. You know, that's just it's you you know you can't coach a player to think that way. You know, that's nope. just that's you know a good altruistic point guard and uh, somebody somebody you definitely have uh, that you're proud to have leading your team. Yeah, we said this at the, around the time of the draft last year. Actually, I believe this was in our our episode that we recorded on draft lottery night, if not before that. Don't undersell the impact of having a franchise player who also wants to be a leader. Uh, you know, Cade seems yes. to be a born leader, very charismatic, very responsible, at just all about, like you said, getting his teammates involved. And that's a big deal. Like when, you're, when your best player is setting, is not only is, is leading, but also setting the example. Like the, the teams I grew up watching most, like of course, the, the going to work Pistons. I mean, those guys were all about playing for each other too. And, and that was great. But for me, it's really the Red Wings teams. Like I've, before I got back into the Pistons, like I was an absolute diehard Red Wings fan for a long time. I mean, those teams of guys whose leaders were just all about the wins. There was no ego there. Like those of you who are watching during Pablo Dautzuk's career know what I'm talking about. I mean, the guy could have scored so many more points if 
he were not committed to playing such a team game. And probably Zetterberg also, and Widstrom, of course, who's just the absolute consummate gentleman. I mean, nobody could ever see a bad thing about Widstrom. But, you know, he just wanted to go out there and lead. Uh, always about the team, never took a shift off. None of those guys did. And it, it goes back before that to Iserman, for example, who is, you know, I, I think if I had to guess amongst the average Detroit sports fan who has been around, you know, who's, you know, who is old enough to watch Iserman play, you got to think Iserman probably at this point is the model of leadership amongst Detroit sports in the recent past. And who knows, maybe you'll see Kate Cunningham up there with him. And that's, that's, I know what we would all like to see. Like I said, don't undersell the impact of a guy who's incredibly talented, but it's all about the wins and nothing else. Yeah. And, you know, you got to give the credit to Weaver here. This has definitely been his philosophy from day one when he came in to build this team. He definitely talked about how we draft the person, not the player. And he his his thing is that he believes that guys who have the personality that where they want to work hard, uh, they're the ones who are going to figure it out. And it seems like on top of that, he's just bringing in guys who are just great locker room guys. And I think that helps get these Pistons through these hard times and it makes them, it makes the chemistry better. So I think that, I think honestly, the, the, the personalities and the types of guys that Weaver has brought in has done more for the winning culture than anything. Uh, like, like I don't think that the culture of, you know, the Pistons teams of the past half decade where they were like flirting with 40 wins. I don't think the winning culture has been stronger on those teams just because they won more games. You know, I think that the culture on this team is much stronger. It's young and obviously they have more to establish, but you know, it's not one guy or two guys running a million pick and rolls. And then if you're a tertiary player, you're just kind of, you're out of it. It's everybody's trying to get involved. We have our guy who's creating everything. We just need more guys who can finish. And uh, I have faith that Weaver will continue to build the team this way. And that as we get more and more of those guys, they'll just continue to develop great chemistry. That was another thing. You know, I think the Sixers game really proved this is the culmination of a year of these guys playing together. You know, you definitely see way more in the way of you know, interpersonal chemistry on the court uh, than you did at the start of the season. It's it's coming together and it's coming fast. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, you and I agree the team needs quite a bit more talent or quite a bit more oh, development. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Or, or, or also probably quite a bit more talent, uh, development of the talent currently on the team. Again, I'll just yeah. go back to Hamadou. Still going to say it. If Hamadou can become, and, you know, who knows what the odds are on this because some guys just never get together as shooters, unfortunately. But if Hamadou can become a reliable three-point shooter, then I think you genuinely have a starting shooting guard of the future. So yeah, forcing on his closeout, he'll make you pay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you got the shot, and yeah, if people close out on you, I mean, it, it's it's you know, there's no good choice there. You either let him take the open three, or you let him completely annihilate you by just blowing by you. Because uh, Hamadou is just an incredible athlete amongst an incredible, you know, in, in the midst of an incredibly athletic league. I mean, the guy is really something else, and all he needs to complete his game. Like that is all he needs to complete his game is a perimeter shot. That's going to be the difference between him not being on the team. Hopefully when the Pistons are contending, you can't have perimeter players. You can't shoot. So it'd be the difference between him conceivably being a starter on a contender and him, I would say very probably not being on the team if the Pistons have reached contender status. So, uh, yeah, but you just need more talent. Of course, whether you're finding him free agency, probably a couple years down the line, certainly in the draft, uh, but you're, you're bringing these guys onto into a good team culture, without a doubt. Yeah, and I definitely hope that uh, Frank Jackson gets another shot because I still believe in him. Like, There's very few guys on this roster that I think are capable of playing rotation minutes on a contender, at least mm-hmm. you know, more than a, like a 
insignificant insignificant bench role. You know, player rotations shrink during the playoffs. So I think Frank is definitely a guy who could make it within that cut. He just didn't shoot it well. Obviously, he had a lot of bad luck with injuries, but there's there's a lot of potential there. I think that people have really cooled off on him, kind of want to see him gone. Uh, I'm definitely not in that camp. I think Frank Jackson is an he's NBA cheap. player. And, he's, he's yeah, he's cheap. It's, it's not even that. It's just like I, w- I would comfortably give him more money and a longer contract. I just I see yeah. the potential he's there. He's got to prove it. And I really believe in it. Yeah, he's, he's got to prove it. I mean, last season, he's got to prove that last season wasn't an aberration. I mean, he's had issues this season with injuries. That hasn't been ideal. Slow start. And if he can be that guy who can shoot motion threes on high volume, it's an incredibly valuable player. No, you know, no matter, no matter the situation, as long as he can play defense and Frank plays decent defense, it's not like Bryn Forbes, who is a fantastic shooter and has been since his MSU days, an excellent motion three point shooter. You just don't want to leave open under any circumstances, uh, but he's a liability on defense in the playoffs. And if you're a playoff liability, I mean, playoff offenses, they will just target you again and again and again and again in isolation until they run you off the floor. So right. uh, but we can hope that Frank isn't like that. But yeah, when it comes to the number of guys who would actually uh, on this team, and again, it, what the Pistons have right now is a good start, a really good start. I mean, it, it became, I mean, just even having Cade on the team makes it an excellent start and, and Sadiq developing as he has great. Uh, but if you're looking at guys who right now in the current stage of development, be rotation players on good teams, Grant, of course, Cade, Bay, uh, I think Isaiah Stewart is a, yeah. a good backup. Isaiah Stewart be a backup center. Um, but as far as the I'm other putting guys, Frank Jackson in there, uh, Frank Jackson, he has that potential. He has the potential. I, I really believe it. I think yeah, he could be a potential. Like, I think he could be a starter on a championship team. In a very oh, I don't know about role. that. I, I think, no, I like, think, I think he's, I think he's, he's that guy who's just moving around on the perimeter, gets it up quickly. Just a like takes a bunch of quick shots. Too targetable. I, I see that. I see that ceiling for him. Just too targetable Good on option. defense. Uh, I would say in any case, I, I would say he would be a bench player. Most likely. Uh, I mean, you look at contenders. I mean, which contender uh, in, in the league right now or in the recent past has a guy who's fairly undersized? And uh, yeah, I, I don't see that he could be. I couldn't think of that quick enough to answer that. Yeah, for you. I mean, you think of players, for example, like you have the Sixers, obviously, that's Tyrese Maxey. Uh, you've got the Bucks, that's now Pat Connaughton, who's pretty long and actually super athletic. He had the highest vertical at his combine. Um, let's see, I thought. Popped in them on mind was the Lakers and the Lakers who could very easily be knocked out of the plans tonight. And that would be great. Uh, though I'm not sure what the score of the Spurs game is now. It should be just about over. Uh, whatever the case. Yeah, I don't think he has the I don't think he has the potential to be a starter on a championship team just because of his physical stature. But, uh, you know, a guy who can shoot motion threes, that's a very valuable bench player in any case. But I would say, yeah, if we're talking about guys in their current state of development, yeah, I would say Bay, Cade, Grant, Isaiah Stewart, and uh, maybe Isaiah Livers. I mean, if he, if he continues being able to shoot threes at high percentage, that's a rotation player. Yeah. Maybe your eighth man. Uh, aside sure. from that, these are the Pistons have guys in the roster like Killian Hayes, maybe Marvin Bagley, um, Hamadou, who could, and Frank Jackson, who could play roles if they develop as hoped. And we'll see. But yeah, yeah obviously the Pistons are still in talent acquisition mode. 100%. No doubt about that. And that's that's definitely a silver lining to a season that has been very frustrating in some ways. That uh, if the Pistons finish third worst, the absolute worst you will pick is number seven, and you have a significantly higher odds picking higher than that. Uh, but moving on, I think there's a, a concept that I disagree with, and this is an old concept that has been with the team primarily since, well, actually, really since Tom Goros came in. This is one of his favorite concepts was that idea of winning culture. And there are a couple ways I think you can define winning culture. One, just, you know, a culture 
that of just hardworking guys. And, uh, you know, it, it's basically the culture I would say is going to be determined by the players and by the coach. And this is a culture that is made up of just those personalities. So that exists. Absolutely. Uh, the notion that the Pistons can build a quote unquote winning culture by winning that I disagree with quite a bit. I feel like, like one of the reasons that Tom Gore has refused to let the Pistons rebuild for uh, nine years, he took over the team in 2011. And finally in 2020, after the Pistons were clearly Griffin had gone down again, it had gone down for the season and whatever. And Tom Gores came out and said, okay, we don't want to compete for the eighth seed every year. Um, but before that, he had seemed to have just think, thought that the Pistons, as long as they start winning, uh, they can basically compensate for lack of talent with just a really good attitude or something. And that I don't agree with. I guess yeah, strongly. Maybe he thought it was going to be like growth just incrementally. like, But that was never the case. I mean, going back to 2016, I think we won – 44 games and then what, what did we miss the playoffs the next year and then I think we missed yep. again and then it was 2019 and we that was that was not the was it 2018 that we made the playoffs with Blake 2019 2019 yeah it's it was never this incremental growth it's just that's not how team building works unfortunately you lose players players get older you know if you have good players who you want to keep sometimes they just they go somewhere else you can't keep, you can't help it so mm-hmm. you have to the, the teams that are rising quickly are the ones that are acquiring talent fast and within a very small window. It, yeah. I mean, but uh, I mean, what I'm saying is that what I think that, that Tom Gore has believed was that basically you can win and then your team becomes more set on winning or something and that, that you can grow that way without necessarily having enough talent and we just got to build that winning culture and become a winning team. And and the NBA, more than I think any other sport, is focused on top-end talent. That's partly because of just how few players are on any given team. But it's also just, I mean, the game revolves around high-end talent. You just, you have to get that talent. And for a team like the Pistons, that's in the draft. For teams like the Lakers, you can find it in free agency. But uh, yeah, so I, I don't subscribe to the notion that a team can you know, that the Pistons need to start building a winning culture by like winning right now. It doesn't, it, I don't think it just doesn't really work that way. Because if you think about it in terms of that logic, that and then any team that's winning is going to have a winning culture also. And if both teams are playing and both teams have a winning culture, the team that has more talent is going to win. So yeah, I, I think the Tom Gores came in with a very venture capital viewpoint on it. Like we're going to make this a successful organization, like through power of will and positive thinking and hard work. And it's like, that's not enough. You just, you find yourself in the nightmare eight seed situation like the Pistons did, and then you can't improve. Yeah. So more or less, do I think it's, it, it, it's important or do you think it's a big deal or do I think it's a big deal rather that the Pistons haven't been winning games this season or that it was, would have been better if the Pistons had not put out tank lineups in some games, uh, you know, to start building that quote unquote winning culture. No, I, I don't think, I just, I don't think that concept hold, really holds water. Uh, it's. I, I think the Pistons have the culture that they're going to need now, just based on the players, uh, a lot of the players they have on the team, the players that, that Troy Weaver will continue to add with an eye toward character. And you say what you will about Dwayne Casey, and we've said plenty of bad things about his in-game coaching. He is a very good coach for maintaining a certain sort of attitude. The players really like him. And so, yeah, I think that's the culture that matters. So, though, I, I, Dwayne Casey... I think Tommy, you and I both believe he's not going to be the coach 
who is going to make the Pistons a contender. I think he just has a certain ceiling. Great floor raiser, not a good ceiling. 100%. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I think the the plan and the rumor, I think we've said this, and we've probably seen it elsewhere, is that the, the idea is that Dwayne Casey will transition into a front office role. I know he does some scouting work. Uh, maybe he just continues to do that. Just be around the organization. You know, he's not a bad guy to have around. It's just his X's and O's are just always not the most creative. But there's he, he's, he comes off as very well-spoken. Definitely seems like the sort of guy that uh, the team respects. And I, I like him now. I mean, he didn't come to the team to uh, be that guy. But, you know, the team pivoted and he rolled with it. And he's done an admirable job on that front. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, that's where the Pistons are, though. Definitely talent acquisition mode. Now, I know that there have been some recent cases of teams really going from 0 to 60 very quickly. If we got the the Grizzlies, the Suns, and the Mavericks were all at the bottom of the Western Conference, like was it two years ago, three years ago, three years something ago. like that, yeah, yeah, because the the Mavericks were in the playoffs two years ago. Uh, I remember this because Luca is an unbelievable playoff player. Like, yeah, was it? Yeah, they were in the playoffs in twenty twenty. That was when he hit that insane game winner over the Clippers. So, yeah, I don't think yeah. it'll go that quickly for the Pistons, though. Do you? No, and it's it's probably more a product of this draft class. Now, Kate is very good, but he's not. Well, like just going off like the three teams that we just mentioned, the the Suns, the Grizzlies, and the Mavericks, uh, starting with Dallas. Uh, Luka, obviously, just one-man show. He's elevated that team significantly. Yeah. And, I've, I mean, there's obviously more to, than just him, but he's he is probably – he's got it in him to be a top-20 NBA player all time oh, yeah. uh, by, the, by the time that uh, he's – finished with his career. He's unbelievable. He's very special. Yeah. And then the the Suns, I mean, they were horrible for a long time, even with Devin Booker. Mm-hmm. They were just not winning very many games. And then they move up to number one, they pick up Aiton, and then they get Chris Paul in free age. Or was it, it was a trade, right? Uh, yeah, it was, was a trade, but the, it was a trade, but the Thunder uh, right. somehow managed, <laughs> who managed to take Chris Paul's contract in exchange for Westbrook and get a bunch of picks and then get another pick. Uh, that's right. By trading them to the Suns. Yes. And uh, it's it's stuff like that. Like, you know, these big, not, not big names necessarily, but, you know, you need a lot of talent. That's a lot of talent right there. And it definitely elevated that team. It, it made things a lot easier for Booker, not only yeah. uh, to get his own shots off, but you just, there's, it's a three headed monster. You need mm-hmm. more than one really good scoring attack. Uh, as not good as that. the Mavericks are right now by record. Uh, I don't think that the Mavericks are true contenders. They just don't have enough pieces around Luka. I agree. Uh, but you think about Something about the Suns, Monty Williams has been an excellent coach for them. Like, excellent. Yeah. He's going to win coach of the year. I think he absolutely deserves it. Yeah, and they, and I mean, the way they play is definitely atypical of the traditional NBA meta. They take a ton of mid-range because they have two of the best mid-range shooters in the NBA and Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Mm-hmm. Aiden, that works really well for Aiden because he's not clogging the paint for those guys because they can just shoot over those guys. Uh, it's it's a good situation. And then, like you said, Monty Williams, he's got them playing really fast. And, yeah, Mikal Bridges, too. A lot too. of passing. Yep. Yeah, Mikael it's, Bridges is a good team. One of the best 3 and D players in the league, like Barnon. That's not an exactly. exaggeration. Yeah, and, and, you've, yeah, and got, then, you've got good depth. It's it's an athletic roster. And uh, yeah. And then the Grizzlies. Yeah, and then the Grizzlies. Are, yeah, a ridiculous yeah, it's, anomaly. It's John Morant and uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. and a bunch of other good young players yeah. who are. But they're 20 athletic. and 2 without, without John Morant this year. And exactly. they're excellent with him, too. The, the team makes it, it makes absolutely no discernible sense to me. Because the Grizzlies <laughs> don't have a ton of talent without John Morant on the floor, but they're still excellent. It doesn't make any sense yeah. to me at all. But uh, yeah, what's they, their coach's name? Is it Glenn Taylor? 
Uh, no. Oh my goodness. Who's, uh, I, I can't remember his name. We could Google it, but uh, also a guy who's going to be running for coach of the year. They did add Desmond yeah. Bain. Desmond Bain has been very good yep. for them. I was yep. shocked that he dropped to number 30 in 2020. That made no sense to me at all. <laughs> and uh, apparently he said that he thought he was going to be taken by the Pistons, I think. But right. uh, I realized I didn't, uh, didn't get that necessarily from a reliable source. So that could be untrue, but he's been very good. Steven Adams has been a good piece for them, I guess, but, uh, you know, the, the team doesn't make any sense to me how they're that good. I mean, they, they just, they are so much more than the sum of their parts. Like how they're that good without Morant. They're just so much more than the sum of their parts. It's really something else. Yeah. And just bringing it back to the Pistons, like as good as the Pistons are in the, well, no, that's not true, but as fun as the <laughs> no, Pistons have been this season, they definitely just need more talent. As great as Sadiq Bey has been, uh, I think that right now I'd put him, oh, I, Taylor, I think he's gone up from fourth option to Taylor uh, Jenkins, option. by the way. That's what it was. Taylor Jenkins. That's yeah. what it was. Uh, that, there's the Taylor. Yeah. But, uh, oh gosh, who's Glenn Taylor? That's probably somebody I think he played totally for, different. Didn't he play for the Pacers a couple nights ago? Or am I, I don't remember. Either that or he played in the NFL. I can't remember. Definitely not the Memphis coach, though. <laughs> no. But, uh, yeah, no, the, t- the team still just needs more talent. And uh, that, unfortunately, does take us to the lottery <laughs> odds. The Pistons, obviously, had they had that 3-0 and week. And the last time we talked about this, they were in a three-way tie with Orlando and uh, Sorry, Houston I had to Google this. And- so, sorry to interrupt. Glenn Taylor is the awful owner of the Timberwolves. That's what it was. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think yeah, he's, he's transitioning away from being the owner of the Timberwolves. Yeah, thank you. That was driving me insane. Anyway, back to the Pistons being terrible. Um, we need more talent. And the best way to get more talent, it's the same way that we did it last year. It worked perfectly last year. You know, it should, like, people, I see I see people make the argument that, you know, if Troy Weaver is really as good as he is, as we think he is, or, you know, if he really is this excellent talent evaluator, uh, it shouldn't matter where, we, where we're picking. But what does it say about... Troy Weaver, if he is also trying to tank the Pistons, like it's not yeah. like we're running out our full lineups. Like they no. want top odds, they yeah. want a high pick. If it, like, just go back to last year, the the best four players in that draft were the taken top four. Just because you're a good talent evaluator doesn't mean you don't want. It doesn't matter where you pick. Sometimes talent just doesn't exist there. And I don't. It's not even that I think that Troy Weaver is some genius talent evaluator. I don't think he's ever. Well, he's not going to say that, obviously, but I think his thing is just he picks guys with the right personalities. But sometimes you can just recognize great talent. And I know that uh, Troy Weaver has been scouting most of these guys since high school. He talked about how the first time he was like really up on Cade was when he was still at Montverde. So it should say something that you're the guy that we're entrusting to make these picks and the guy that we all think very highly of is still trying to tank our record so that he can get the best odds at a top mm-hmm. pick it matters you know if, if you trust matter. him to make that pick elsewhere or wherever in the in the draft that's one thing but it should say something that the man himself still wants to, a top pick and he wants better odds yeah 100 percent. i mean higher odds higher odds are better than worse odds and again it's every team in the top three has the same odds at number one there was that lottery reform thanks to the process sixers However, if you are number one, for example, you can only drop to number five. If you're number two, you can only drop to number six. So you're not guaranteed simply better odds. You're guaranteed to not fall further. But yeah, better odds, better than worse odds. And and definitely, again, I think compared to whatever 
whatever gain you're going to get just from a few games, a few wins at the end of the season. Like, I don't doubt that Cade and Bay and Isaiah Stewart, these guys know what's going on. I mean, they know they know how a team yeah. is built. These are smart guys. They, they know what's happening. I mean, they, they know that there is a purpose to this. And they know that this is not going to happen next season. So, uh, but uh, yeah, on the subject of that, and I totally agree with your point about Weaver. Yeah, this guy is on board with the tank. It should be noted that West, you know, for all of us who were around watching last season, uh, the Pistons were in an epic tank off in the last 10 games. Like absolutely epic. Mm-hmm. Like they had this cl- that absolute clutch loss against uh, against the Orlando Magic, and uh, like it, it took like some serious tanking, which Weaver was one hundred percent on board with. There's no doubt about that because it's definitely not Dwayne Casey making this decision. The guy wants to win every game he can. So yeah, it, it just it came down to the wire, like absolutely down to the wire. The Pistons getting uh, placing 29th and ultimately winning the draft lottery. So, uh, yeah, on that note, getting on to the actual lottery standings right now, Pistons have three games left. As we mentioned earlier, the Thunder won, which is a miracle given the lineup they trotted out, but the Blazers are even worse. So <laughs> as of this point, the Pistons can't get to 30th. <laughs> and as I, as I uh, say this, I'm looking at Tankathon. Tankathon.com, it's where you can do lottery sims. They also show where teams are in the draft lottery odds. It's funny, the teams with long losing streaks have, uh, are listed in green. It's like lost eight. Yeah just Indiana and Portland. The Pistons, who have won three, that's in a, a big, fat, red font. <laughs> it's the opposite of what you'd expect. They know what so, it's about. Absolutely, they know what it's about, yeah. It's become a very popular site. So uh, Houston, the Pistons can't catch Houston anymore. Uh, the uh, The Rockets have are, are three losses ahead and have only two games left. Uh, the Magic won tonight. They would have to win both of their remaining games, and the Pistons would have to lose all three. And Thunder are one win ahead. The... Pacers are two wins ahead. So if the Pistons lose their remaining games, and there is certainly a, a good probability of that happening, they are guaranteed the th- number three spot, which means the furthest you can drop is seven, and you have the top odds of the number one overall pick, just 14%, and 52% at top four. Right. So All I want at yeah. this point is to finish in that bottom three so that our odds at the top four are as best as they can be. This is not a draft like last year's where there's really great talents all the way through the top five. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is pretty much considered a top three draft by most people. We obviously uh, disagree with one of those guys, but we'll get into that some other time. Mm-hmm. But the difference now uh, between you know finishing 30th and finishing 28th is just that you can fall to five or you can fall all the way to seven. And functionally, I don't think there's a huge difference between what you're going to get at between five, six, and seven. I think a lot eight. of the guys who number are number eight would be awful. That would be bad. Yeah, eight would be bad. Uh, I do not want to fall to eight, but you know the Pistons really like Keegan Murray. I think Keegan Murray, honestly, he could even be there at seven. I think it's slim at this point, but I think he could be there. Guys like Jalen Duran, uh, Shaden Sharp. There, there's there's not hor- it's not horrible names at that point, uh, but you know really this is a top two draft in our opinion, mm-hmm. and as long as we finish bottom three. Uh, our odds of that stay the same. And if we fall, we fall. You know, it's your your chances of falling five through seven if you finish third worst is the exact same as the the worst team's odds at falling to pick five. So functionally, there's not a huge difference the, there. The best team. Uh, yeah, the worst team, right. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I got a little mixed up there. Yeah. The best odds. Tankathon's yeah. infected your mind. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. it's... Yeah, so I absolutely agree with what you're saying. Yeah, I think that's... And so you have like your top two, of course, Chet Holmgren, uh, in the opinion of many people, including the two of us, 
Chet Holmgren and Jabari Smith. You have beyond their Boncaro, I really don't like Ivy, uh, Matherin, and Sharp. So that is your tops. I, well, I really like Matherin. That he's, he's mocked all over the place. You got Keegan Murray up there as well. Uh, goodness, who am I forgetting? I mean, AJ Griffin. Like March Madness just ended, and it was a really horrible tournament for those of us who just wanted to get maximum watch time in the top <laughs> prospects. It was awful for that. Yeah, just absolutely awful because only. Uh, Boncaro and Griffin made it into the Elite Eight. That was not great. And, oh, no. uh, of course, they were uh, they were gone in the Final Four. And a fantastic game with North Carolina. I mean, that was, that was as good a game as you could have asked for between uh, two bitter rivals. And it was it came down to the wire. The only... Yeah, sucks about Coach K's finale. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. That's too bad for him, yeah. Like the, <laughs> the only guy uh, who is left who might realistically... I'd go in like the watery. It was Agbaji who played for Kansas. Yeah. I'm a huge yeah. fan of Osha. Yeah, no, he's he's a guy that I, I don't know if I I feel like I mentioned him on here. Yeah, I did mention him on here at least a, like a month or two ago. But mm-hmm. uh, if we do pick up that extra first rounder, he's a guy that I would definitely like to consider at the very least taking there. Uh, but yeah, yeah there you the point stands. Like the, a lot of the best prospects were out early this year. And uh, it was not a not a fun viewing experience for us. And a lot of them had bad games, too. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so why don't we move on and do what we did last time? I know you in particular are a big fan of uh, Tankathon Sims. And honestly, oh, I've been 100%. flipping through it trying to find an, an interesting scenario. And I've been flipped through a bunch of them because the Pistons continually just repeatedly end up in number one or number two. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> And as much as that's oh, what we darn. want to see happen, it's not quite as interesting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, all right, uh, here's one. So uh, this one lands the Pistons at number four, Houston, number one, Indiana, number two, uh, the Lakers, number three, but regrettably for the Lakers who might get knocked out tonight, that pick would go to new Orleans. So oh, beautiful. Yeah. And then the Pistons. So uh, yeah, why don't you start out with Houston at number one, Houston at number one. Okay. So it's obviously for me, it's between Jabari Smith and Chet Holmgren. They have Sangoon, but I don't know if they would pass. I don't know if he's really making the difference for them. So I'm not really going to, Make mm-hmm. him a functional piece of this. You know, I'm I'm sticking to my guns. I well, yeah. No, I, I, Jabari Smith is my favorite prospect uh, of out of this draft, so I'm going to take him number one overall. Yeah, I, I would do that too if I were the Rockets. Like you've got uh, Jalen Green is really looking like the scorer that uh, he's finally the guy that I thought he could be. It's yeah, awesome. I, I think he's the reason I'd still place him. I, I think he's a little bit of a dum dum. Um, <laughs> just I, I don't think he's I don't think like, he's a guy who's going to be your primary initiator just because I don't think he's really got the smarts off the drive to really conduct an offense. So I, I think that's ultimate. I think that's going to be a ceiling. Huh? Yeah. So he, he'll be, he a bucket. Just be a bucket. That's it. But, but that's going to be a ceiling. And I, I think just having those smarts really, really makes the difference between a good player and a great player. Same thing I'd say about Anthony Edwards. Uh, but yeah, I think just adding an, an absolutely elite shooter alongside, uh, J- alongside Jalen Green and, and whoever ends up being the point guard over there. Uh, is a good idea. Sangoon, yeah. I think they're high on. Would they pass on Chet for that? Who knows? But yeah. All right. So Indiana. So this is where things get a little bit interesting. I think that if they had access to Holmgren, they would go with him, maybe play him alongside Miles Turner, or maybe just trade Turner. The Turner's value won't be incredibly high because he's a pending unrestricted free agent. That'll be in 2023. Uh, <laughs> what they would not do in this situation is take Boncaro. Uh, Turner would have a stroke. And this would not be a trade Turner situation. Turner hated 
by by many accounts just hated playing next to uh, Sabanis because Turner basically just got consigned to the perimeter on offense and he thinks he's much better than that. Mm-hmm. And you get Boncari you're back in the exact same position. So <laughs> yeah, I think I think this would be a case where you draft Chet Holmgren and maybe you keep Turner through the end of his contract uh, just and, and wait while Chet's hopefully bulking up next season. Hopefully, but I, I think they'd go with uh, with with Holmgren at that point. All right, so number three yep. is the Pelicans. Or you're definitely not having Boncaro to the Pelicans. No doubt about that. No. Uh, you know, I think Jade and Ivy here. This is uh, – I, I, we were talking about this like a few days really? ago. We couldn't Next remember who Sure, why not? I don't think that's a good mix, man. You've got, you've got two Who's guys. Who's their starting gonna... point guard right now? Uh, <laughs> is it Alvarado right now? Like, my goodness. I don't, I, I I don't know, but up. like, I, I, I mean, I on the Pistons, I don't think Jade and Ivy should be a point guard. But I think he'd – be just fine there. Like he had issues in the tournament. Quick. Yeah, I mean, I I've been watching him all year. He's 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 had his ups and downs, sure, but you know, he's yeah. nine out nine out of ten NBA athlete. I, I would take Ivy there at number three. Like if they need a they need a, a guy like another lead guard, and as good as CJ has been, I think he can take that. So they've actually been Playing playing CJ one. point guard, um, but Have they? I, yeah, recently. Uh, Devontae's Devontae Graham's been coming off the bench, which is a little odd, but yeah, Ivy, I mean, his issue is I think he'll be best as a lead guard, but his ability to make the right reads is in question. I mean, I, I don't, I, I think that's very much a question mark around him that, that could end up being a big deal. So man, yeah. I mean, it's a different style yeah. of basketball NBA. I think the, the difference between the big 10 and the NBA is considerable. Uh, yeah. It's, there's a considerable difference. However, the ability to make the right reads, I mean, that's the same in either situation. You're playing against better, much better defenders in the NBA. The ability to make the right reads is that much more important. So, I, think Ivy's, I think Ivy's all right. I don't it's... know about that. I think this might be a trade-down scenario because unless they feel like they're really moving on from Zion, you don't take Paolo. I mean, he plays the same position. No. And, and Zion, who, if he can actually play, is drastically better for their, you know, they don't play the same role, but he's just, <laughs> Zion, when he can play, is virtually unstoppable on the drive. Like, right. legitimately. Like the guy was yeah, the no guy was basically centers in this one. Uh, yeah, but they've got um, they've got Valanciunas now with spacing center. So is that right? No, I'm talking about this draft class. So I mean, their lineup would be yeah. Ivy, CJ, Ingram, Zion, and then JV. There's no, I, I don't see an upgrade for JV at this, in this class. So no, I don't know who who would you take, man? Oh goodness, um, that's hard. I mean, if there were uh, like a legitimately good point guard in this. Class, I mean, I think that would be the choice for uh, for the Pelicans. And I think this would be the draft in which teams aren't really quite as touchy about where they're picking in the draft. Last year, you just won. I mean, they, they won't be quite as touchy. But what I mean is that they may take a player who, like outside the top two, you just you, you don't know what's going to happen. Put it that way. Like yeah. last year, you knew who was going to go. The only surprise was Suggs over Barnes, but you knew what the top five was. So um, maybe this is a trade-down situation. Like the best point guard in the top ten is Ty Ty Washington. That's not a number three pick. So, no, definitely not. <laughs> no, that's so. This is just a tough one. Uh, I really don't know, and it's possible they would flip this pick if they could get a, a genuinely good point guard from somebody. I don't know who that would be. Uh, I think it's a good f- thing that we're not a Pelicans podcast. Yeah, uh, they, this is like maybe a situation where they flip this for a lower pick and and a better player, uh, and, and a player who can help them win now because that really is their objective. Yeah. Uh, so that's a question mark there. But getting to number four. <laughs> <laughs> man, this is an interesting it. scenario. I don't take Paolo. Ooh, don't do it. Not, yeah, if there's say. another, if there's another team that wants Paolo, I mean, something what uh, what the Final Four showed me, for yeah. example, is just demonstrated further his lack of off ball utility. We're going to do a deep dive into Paolo prior to the you know 
in our draft series, which is going to start in uh, in May at wait uh, April, excuse me. But yeah, Paul really he yeah. he's really benefited from the tournament and uh, some recency bias. I think playing Michigan State really boosted him in uh, in a lot of Pistons fans' eyes. Not, Possibly, I, I'm not high on him. Neither am I. Tran- I'm not high on his. Uh, potential translation to the NBA. I'll put it that way. Yeah, fit was fit with the Pistons either, in my opinion. I mean, again, we'll do a deep dive. It's just my my concern over his off ball utility is very high, definitely in the final. We're definitely going to get to that before uh, May seventeenth. That's the lottery. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, yeah, in his his net contribution in the final four off the ball was one three pointer. I mean, the guy has made does major issues off the ball that I think will continue in the NBA. But we'll get to that then. Uh, so uh, for the Pistons, it. If you can trade down for a team that wants Paolo, at this point, things go wide open. You maybe think about Matherin, uh, who I think is quite promising. You maybe think about Shaden Sharp if he absolutely kills it in the combine. But I'm going to have to take... Uh, I mean, I just don't know. You, I think you definitely don't take Keegan Murray at this point. Uh, oh, I, I think I said that before. I, th- I, I think I, the, the Pistons are reportedly very high on him. I think they, w- if it's the Pistons making this pick, I think they would de- can definitely consider taking him at number four. They would four. consider taking him, but I just don't know what to say at number four at this point with what's already happened. Honestly, if, if I'm I, predicting if, it, I'm saying Keegan Murray. Yeah, if you hadn't taken Ivy off the board, I might have taken him at number four. I don't really like him all that, that much. That warms but, my heart. Yeah, but we'll talk about that <laughs> later on. Okay, uh, and from there, let's move on to some listener-submitted questions. Uh, number one is the recent strong play we've seen from Killian, a statistical mirage, an aberration given competition and situation, or a signal that he might become a useful player for the Pistons. I want to look up Killian Hayes' stats in that game because I know he had that. A lot of people saw the 26, and they were very impressed. Obviously, that's his career high. Beat it by, what, like five points. That's great, but I don't think he was on the best efficiency. Exactly. So I don't think that... We had a question last week about like what has the plan for Killian changed based on his recent play, uh, and this is kind of the same answer. But no, uh, I don't think anything has changed, and I think that he was going to become a useful player. I, I, at some point, I'd like to go back to you know the beginning of the season because one of the things that we had talked about was like potential roles for players, and one of the things that I had said about Killian is I think he should come off the bench. And I think once he comes off the bench, you know, get the spotlight off of him further down on the scouting report and uh, I think he'll have a better time there and I think it's working kind of how we thought it might so I would just keep him in the exact same situation Uh, I think he can be a useful player off the bench and I think that's kind of his long-term role like we said last week not a big fan of his fit with Cade uh, in the backcourt just long term you know I think people wanted to see it as a perfect fit definitely never saw that and you know, it's it's really just about uh, where is he most useful for us? And I think even if he was playing a little bit better, uh, I would still want him off the bench because he gets the ball in his hands that way and he seems much more comfortable with that role and much more useful mm-hmm. overall. Yeah. Uh, so just because I forgot to do this earlier and to make editing quite a bit easier on me, uh, we're going to do a quick word from our sponsor at this point. Uh, so two titles were up for grabs in the stacked UFC 273 fight card. Join the action with DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC. New customers can bet $5 on any fighter and get $100 in free bets. Win or lose, guaranteed. Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet. You can still get in on the excitement. Everyone can play for a share of millions in prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy MMA Contest. Draft your lineup of fighters while staying under the salary cap and rack up points for strikes, takedowns, and more. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Based of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. 
Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Throw down $5 in UFC 273 and get $100 in free bets no matter what. That's code TBPN this Saturday at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC. 21 plus restrictions apply. See show notes for details. All right. So uh, Killian, has it been an aberration? I mean, the Pistons have played. So Killian, as we said in the last episode, definitely is improving. And that's very encouraging. Uh, I think that his long-term role is back up. Agree with you, Tommy. I don't think he's a good fit with Cade or, and I don't think he's going to find his best role and get his best value rather if he's not running the offense. So if he can be the long-term backup point guard, great. And a guy who can step in and start when Cade uh, has to take a game off due to injury or otherwise, you know, fantastic. Like what we've been seeing from him is, you know, Cade, runs the offense for like eight minutes. Then Killian comes in and he's more on the ball and, and Kate is playing a more off ball role. Just kind of reminds me of what the Warriors would do with Curry and Livingston back in the day. So just uh, 26 points against the Thunder. Yeah, not a great game playing against a terrible team. His efficiency wasn't very good. And, uh, but you know, it's progress. He still has a ways to go. Got to get better at attacking the basket. Got to become more efficient. Got to become a reliable three-point shooter. And also learn to play defense on quick guards. Uh, he's a good defender against everybody else. So encouraging progress has a ways to go. Next question. Who are some potential centers? You can see the Pistons targeting in the draft outside of Chet and Duran. Uh, the only one that comes to mind for me is Mark Williams, a seven foot thereabouts with a seven foot seven wingspan for Duke. Pretty athletic and absolutely play above the rim. Strong rebounder. Doesn't really have much to offer beyond that, but, uh, and it's a decent rim protector also. So yep. he's if, really the only one that I've looked at that I really yeah. like. The other one, uh, the other name that has come up I, that I've seen potentially in that Kessler first Walker. round is Coloco. Uh, Kessler Walker also, I believe in the side. Is, is, yeah, I, I mean, projected higher. given how much Auburn I've watched, I'm not uh, – Walker, he does play for uh, Auburn as well. So I've seen a decent amount of him. He doesn't excite me for the NBA. I'm not sure why he's ranked as high as he is. Uh, yeah, he doesn't really interest me. He's. I, mean, I guess it's worth mentioning his name for if people want to look him up, but – I'm much. I'm a much bigger fan of Mark Williams. Uh, yeah, Kess, uh, Kessler, Walk, Walker Kessler. Sorry, I messed that up. Walker Kessler. <laughs> um, yeah, you, you threw me off. I was yeah, like, oh, not very athletic. <laughs> I mean, and the, yeah. and the Pistons. You know, if you're going to spend it on a traditional center, you want to go with the guy who can really play above the rim. Uh, the the weaknesses. So good guys who aren't all that athletic in the NCAA. It's less of a noticeable weakness because the NCAA is a drastically less athletic league. But if you're playing a traditional center, you want him to be able to switch. You want him to be able to roll explosively to the rim, play above the rim. And Walker Kessler can't do that. So, and Coloco, meh, pretty raw questions on defense. So, yeah, I would say Mark Williams is the only one that, that would interest me. But, you know, if in the unlikely event that the Pistons trade for what could be like the 13th pick from the Pelicans, you know, maybe look for him at that point. But unless the Pistons are like getting another pick in the, in the middle of the first round, I don't think it's too likely. All right, biggest priority the team needs filled in the offseason, the two or the five? Probably a pretty quick question. Ooh, uh, I would. It would be really cool if we could address the five long term. I think that you know maybe you can. This is an interesting thing that I've been thinking about recently, and it's uh, how important centers are because it seems like you you can get a lot of the production of a good center for like very little money. But I think that centers are very, very impactful. And, and, and it, there's probably like some formula in terms of how good a center is and how impactful they are. And I think that uh, the five is actually a very, very important position that's kind of underrated right now. I think the two, you can just throw somebody there who can just put up threes on 
decent volume and a decent percentage and you'll be fine. But I think centers are very, very important in the league right now. Um, yeah, I'm going to disagree. Well, there are a couple of things. Number one, unless the Pistons address either of these positions in the draft, they're not uh, I strongly doubt they're going to get addressed this offseason. Unless the Pistons sign Brunson, for example, uh, because the talent is just not there. Uh, unless, unless you're by some miracle drawing Zach Levine or Bradley Beal wants to come play for the Pistons. And this, these, these are just not likely eventualities, likely possibilities, rather. So, um, I feel like center, it is important. It's also the most disposable position. If you have very talented guys in the other positions, you can basically just throw a, a guy out there who can defend, a traditional center who can defend the rim and roll hard to the basket and catch lobs and you know and finish offense strongly in the restricted area. I disagree on, sh- on shooting guard here. I mean, you're playing Bay at forward, probably small forward. Unless you're getting like an excellent scoring talent at power forward. You're really going to need a guy, another guy to create from the perimeter and the Pistons. I think the Pistons are likeliest going to find that at shooting guard. So, because uh, I, I can't really think of any power forwards they're likely to draw in, in free agency unless like everybody's, you know, every Michigan State's fan's dream comes true and Miles Bridges just hates it in Charlotte and demands to <laughs> sign and trade. But I don't see that happening. So, uh, but my answer is that unless it's in the draft, I don't expect either of them to be addressed long-term mm-hmm. in, in the upcoming offseason because the free agent class is just terrible. Uh, outside of the big names, and the big names are probably unattainable for the Pistons. Uh, whether it's because they're just huge names who aren't likely at all to come to the Pistons or because they're restricted free agents. Okay, uh, how much better can Bay get at the deep ball, and where could he end in NBA war if he's only behind Damian Lillard for most three-pointers made through two, through two seasons? So Bay is like 21 three-pointers uh, behind Lillard for the record or player within his first two seasons. Bay has become we all know it, an excellent three-point shooter on high volume, and he continues to develop in, in terms of the ways he can get that shot off. Yep. So uh, something to note, so the, the three ball has proliferated over like the last five, you know, six years, six or seven years. And so you have a lot of players in the annals of the NBA who are excellent shooters, just didn't take anywhere near that many threes because it wasn't that, uh, that integral part of the game. So I don't think it necessarily puts him in terms of, uh, you know, anywhere in, in terms of NBA lore. It's an impressive stat, but how much better can he get at the deep ball? Uh, he's been doing, he's been taking kind of sidestep threes. He's been taking uh, sort of mostly just kind of uh, pull-up threes, so to speak, basic pull-up threes. Uh, how he would get better is if he can be a guy who runs around screens and shoots off off that screen. It's an additional option. and uh, But uh, right now he's very capable. Uh, and also, if he can become kind of like that four-level scorer who can score like five feet behind the three-point line, like great, so much better. But right now, he's already an excellent scorer, an excellent three-point shooter. Those are the only ways I really think he could improve. Yep, he's up to 35.2% from three on the year. I think he can get yeah. that into the 40s. Like well, he's peak. he was terrible to start. Exactly. He had a, a horrendous well, no, he, I mean, start he's still got issues with uh, consistencies. Yeah, he, he, he does at times. So yeah, consistency also, but he's definitely on his way to being one of the league's elite three-point shooters. Uh, also, one of the league's Ironmen. I mean, the guy plays an enormous number of minutes and plays in every game. Uh, like he's going to end the season, though this is partially due to COVID. He'll end the season if he plays the next three games. Is one of the only two players, if Mikal Bridges also plays the next, uh, the, rest, the remainder of the games. They are the only two guys now who can start all 82 games. And again, part of that is that he was spared by injury and spared by COVID. But he's also top five somewhere in, in total minutes played. Uh, he usually at this point plays the entire first quarter and then like three or four minutes in the second quarter before he sits down. So uh, hard worker, keeps in great shape. And uh, finally, why did we start Cade versus Oklahoma City? Uh, 
I think there are two things that could have happened that brought this on. Uh, number one, Cade was actually good to go, but you know he sat the next game because of a sore hip. Maybe that something actually happened, uh, or maybe they just wanted him to play, and then like he and Bay just sat down and didn't play the rest of the game. And the same thing happened with Bay. I, I know that Bay wants to play every game. He hasn't missed a game since high school. So, uh, though my guess probably is that Cade aggravated his hip and. Assuming that was like a, I, I don't think they would have invented an injury for Cade. So that that's my guess is that he just ended up. He wasn't going to play heavy minutes, but he ended up out because he aggravated something, and they said it's not worth it. It's OKC, and we want to lose anyway. Yeah, uh, truthfully, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm still wishing that we had uh, lost a few more games and we were still kind of in the thick of it. You know, it, it really bothered me when they played him. Just that seven minutes. It's like play him or don't. You know, don't don't hurt his averages. Yeah, that's just one game, though, uh, out of 62, I think. So mm. didn't really have that much of an impact. Uh, all right, closing thoughts on social media. Yeah, if you made it this far, thank you so much for listening. If you're on Spotify, uh, give us a rating. If you're on Apple, same thing, leave a review. And if you'd love like to, uh, we'd love it if you would uh, follow us on Twitter. We love interacting with you guys, hearing from you guys, hearing feedback and ideas for future episodes. So follow us on Twitter at ToTheBasketPod. That's T-O, the basket pod. Fantastic. All right. Yeah. As Tommy said, thank you all for listening. We'll catch you in the next episode.